The Lord be with you. A reading from the Holy Gospel according to Mark. On that day as evening drew on, Jesus said to his disciples, Let us cross to the other side. Leaving the crowd, they took Jesus with them in the boat, just as he was, and other boats were with him. A violent squall came up, and waves were breaking over the boat, so that it was already filling up. Jesus was in the stern, asleep on a cushion. They woke him and said to him, Teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? He woke up, rebuked the wind, and said to the sea, Quiet, be still. The wind ceased, and there was great calm. Then he asked them, Why are you you terrified? Do you not yet have faith? They were filled with great awe and said to one another, Who then is this whom even wind and sea obey? The Gospel of the Lord. Our world is what we now call, in so many places, post-Christian. It is, as the culture would like to think, moved beyond Christianity, moved beyond Catholicism entirely, especially being, being as Catholic, the Catholic Church built, uh, basically built Western culture itself. There are many that simply renounce you know, the influence of the church in any way, shape, or form. Foolishness, one might say, to be able to chip away at one's own foundations, and yet such is the case. A world where living the Catholic faith is not necessarily going to gain you gold stars in the culture around us. We recognize this as a pretty simple and straightforward understanding if we even look at the world for a few moments. Clear case in point, this week the U.S. bishops met uh, to be able to have their, their annual summer meeting to handle things for the, for the conference. And one of the main things of note was the discussion of whether to, whether to uh, essentially to compose a document on so-called Eucharistic coherence, essentially a document to be able to talk about and explain the Eucharistic theology of the church, our understanding of the Blessed Sacrament, how to prepare to receive it, who ought to receive and ought to receive, not naming names, but giving good general guidelines so that every Catholic can be able to understand what it is we teach about the Eucharist, one of these central mysteries of our faith. And you would think that we had come up with a new idea that was totally different than anything we'd ever said before. Because if you listen to anyone in the world, the, the mind of the world basically is blowing a gasket this week because, gasp, Catholic bishops said a Catholic thing. We said something. Essentially, they affirmed something to, to be able to... They didn't even say anything yet, honestly. They, they agreed to write a document. And they agreed to write a document, essentially, that says something we've been saying for 2,000 years. And yet the world is running around like their hair is on fire because of it. Because of a simple doctrine that we believe that the body and blood of Christ are present here in church, are present to the words of transubstantiation. It's an interesting thing. And that's just one simple example. We could certainly get into the moral issue and a whole variety of other things. 
But the simple fact is that our Christian faith, our Catholic faith particularly, is not always easily accepted. Very frequently will be rejected or violently opposed by the world. So what do we do? It's the age-old question. What do we do in this case? There are some who would suggest that we should flee for the hills. Flee for the hills, rather. Run. Find a nice, safe place. Build a wall around oneself. And to be, uh, essentially, a, a city to oneself, protected from the world. And there's a place for this. Indeed, there's always been a place for this. Even in the early church, there were those who, feeling the call by God, fled to the hills, or more commonly in those days, the deserts, the desert fathers and desert mothers, who felt called by God to go and to flee from the world, to flee from the the temptations of the world, to flee from the foolishness and the sinfulness of the world, the contrariness of it to the faith, even in those days, and to be able to go out into the desert to encounter God face to face as most intimately as they could. To live a life of prayer and fasting and penance, devotion often to the Word of God. And these desert saints, in the early church especially, became a source of great consolation for many in the world. The people of the cities would, would go out to the desert to be able to gain wisdom and understanding and knowledge. They would gain encouragement. Even today we have collections of the sayings of the desert fathers that continue to be a nourishment to the life of the church. And so, indeed, there is a place for some to flee, to go off, to be able to maintain a sort of separation entirely from the world. But if all of us ran to the desert, (laughs) there would be no Christians in the cities. And this is the vast majority of us. The vast majority of us are called to remain here, to be the salt of the earth, the light of the world, as Christ has called us. We have the blessed task of trying to convince hearts of the goodness of the gospel because they don't think that it's good because they haven't experienced it as good. In the second reading today, St. Paul writing to the Corinthians, he reminds them if, if one is in Christ, they are a new creation. In those days, St. Paul was writing to the community and people were being baptized, being brought into the faith, people who had lived their entire lives, con- you know, not contrary to the faith, in some senses it was, but outside of the faith. They have never received the gospel. But when they received the good news, they embraced it. And often there was a conversion of heart, a conversion of life. Something changed within the individual. St. Paul elsewhere in his letters talks about, you've done this and this and this and this and this, but those are things you used to do. Now you are different. It talks about a radical conversion of life, a conversion of heart that happened within the individuals as they accepted the gospel and were baptized and became that new creation. The problem for us, most of us in our world, is the vast majority of Catholics are baptized as infants before we even know we're creatures. (laughs) We don't realize the profound change in newness that is ours because we were never aware of the oldness of it. We never had a chance to dig ourselves into grave sins in the same manner as one who was not baptized very frequently. We've not had the opportunity to be able to live a life outside of the faith in such a way as to know the newness of it, the differentness of it, the goodness of it. 
And this is why very often, if a soul simply lives it in its, in its regular uh, earthly life and as, as an infant, having received baptism, goes through life, it takes some other, some other sort of moment to bring us to conversion. Sometimes it's a retreat. Sometimes it's an encounter with our Lord in the sacraments. Sometimes it's a, a conversion by reading. Sometimes a conversion simply by, by uh, you know, kind of that small and slow, steady growth that brings about something new within us a new fire, a new passion, a new love for Christ. The thing is that our culture was also, in a sense, baptized as an infant. Our world today is foundationally built upon Catholic principles and Catholic everything, really, when it comes down to it. They simply have forgotten this. They don't know how different things could be if it were not for the faith. And many of them, also having actually been baptized as infants, haven't known the goodness of the life in Christ. Haven't known the transformative power of the gospel. Many would say, oh yes, I was baptized. But it means nothing more. It is our part then to share with them the goodness of this message. It is our part to share with them the newness of the gospel, the newness and freshness of life in Christ, to allow the gospel to live so deeply within us and to be so clearly found upon our flesh, our bones, our words, that they see Christ, that they see the goodness of the gospel, that they see something that is transformative. And they may not understand it, but they begin to get a glimpse Our culture needs conversion, but it doesn't happen just as a culture. It happens as individuals in the culture. And this is where we can take place. This is where we as individuals within that same culture can first experience conversion within ourselves, right? Because always we have to take the, the plank out of our own eye before we take the splinters out of our brothers and sisters. But then also to be able to go and to ensure that we are seeking to help our brothers and sisters to show them the goodness of God, to show them the goodness of the gospel, that it is not something burdensome. Our Lord tells us, come to me, all you who labor and are burdened, and I will give you rest. Do we experience our faith as rest? Do we experience the gospel as rest? Do we experience the laws of the church even as rest, as a place of goodness, that brings us closer to our Lord, that brings us closer to our ultimate goal in this life, we pray at least, of happiness, eternity, of heaven. It is for us to do these things and to share this goodness with our culture, beginning with the individual God places before us, to allow them to experience him and to go forth and to share him. It is, as St. Paul says, the love of Christ which compels us, We do this not simply because we want a better culture, because we want a better future, but because we want things better for ourselves. It is ultimately, it should be, our best intention, highest intention, for for God's glory. The love of Christ compels us to go forth and to be who we are called to be, that many more souls might come to glorify Him by becoming saints as well. This is what we need, and this is our goal, to live for Him who died for us. In so many ways, all of this hinges on one particular thing. 
how do we actually do this holiness thing? How is it that we actually can, can seek in any, any small way, even though we can't do it ourselves, how is it that we can be instruments in God's hand to be a point of conversion for another person? Even if we're one small step on that path of conversion, how is it that these things happen? There are a whole variety of ways. Certainly we should pray. We should fast. We should be able to come and to be able to offer of ourselves to our Lord here in those sacraments and to receive of his grace deeply. But there's also a whole variety of other ways. But in one particular way, I would encourage you, if you haven't heard of it before, it's the prayer of the secret of sanctity. It's a tremendous prayer and a powerful one. It was Cardinal Mercier, who was a cardinal in the, the late 1800s, early 1900s, I believe, who was um, basically was a man of great holiness when it comes down to it. And someone asked him one day, what is the secret of sanctity? What is the secret of holiness? What's the, what's the, the magic sauce, if you will? to be able to bring this thing about in one's soul. And he pondered for a moment, and he said, the secret of sanctity is this. Every day, take five minutes of your time and sit in quiet. Quiet your mind, quiet your heart. Try to set everything aside. Allow the Holy Spirit a place of quiet. And then say this, Holy Spirit, beloved of my soul, I adore you. Enlighten me, guide me, strengthen me, console me. Tell me what to do. Give me your orders. I promise to do all that you desire of me and and to accept all that you permit to happen to me. Let me only know your will. Amen. And then after that prayer has been said, sit for another three to five minutes in that silence. The Lord may sometimes say something. Oftentimes he will not. But by allowing him the permission to come and to lead you and to guide you upon his way, as you go through the day that will follow, you will be much more likely to do his will. And for us, brothers and sisters, this is the key to allow the Holy Spirit to convict us and to move us to convert to the world by converting ourselves first and then whoever it is he sets before us. May God grant us the grace to pray this prayer frequently, to open our hearts to the Holy Spirit's guidance daily, that the world might come to glorify the Lord in all things.